Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for those uh, who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Uh, and Damien is up this week. Yes, so what do you have for the table for us today? All right. So what I have for the table today is a documentary, uh, and it is called Troop Justice, Brian Stevenson's Fight for Equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to check it out, you can find it on HBO Max. Uh, it is streaming there for you. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this the last time uh, in the last episode when I introduced this documentary here. But, you know, folks may certainly be familiar with Brian Stevenson because he is uh, a well-known and, and distinguished lawyer and author um, and I would say activist in his own right. Um, he is the director of the Equal Justice Initiative, which has worked on behalf of poor people, incarcerated folks, uh, and and the condemned in our society to really sort of advocate for them, help them, uh, and represent them. Most importantly, I would say represent them um, for over 30 years, um, right? And 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 really their sort of work is focused on trying to eliminate um, racial discrimination in the criminal punishment system. And so this documentary is mostly told through Brian Stevenson's own words, right? Um, mm-hmm. Though we do hear from his uh, family and his colleagues and even some of his clients, uh, which some of that was some of the most powerful parts of this documentary, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, and so I think this documentary really explores like his life and career doing this important work of addressing racism and the, the ills of our, of our criminal punishment system. And so, you know, like, and, and connecting the histories of slavery and lynching and segregation to, you know, what we see today in our country with mass incarceration and, and the death penalty. Um, and so, and, and in the end, what's really cool was, I, you know, the Equal Justice Initiative, a lot of their work was highlighted, but they also have been working to open their Legacy Museum mm-hmm. uh, and National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which was just really sort of awesome to see and, and um, I, I think worth a visit down there. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this documentary because I think it was just so good and and really powerful. Like there were I was moved to tears a couple of times yep. um, during it, sort of listening to and and hearing about the stories that got shared in it. So, you know, I I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. And yeah, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I think we should actually just require this uh, for to be watched in all the schools and just really. <laughs> Really yes. Piss, piss all the people off. I love it. Um, <laughs> piss all the people off. I love so it. So this, I think this would be a powerful um, way in classes, in schools to connect history to the current day. Yes. Um, and see how the legacies of, as you said, enslavement, Jim Crow, racial mm. terrorism through lynchings all lead us up to our current age of um, what we call mass incarceration. Yeah. Um, right. Where we have you know, we, we incarcerate the most people on the planet ever. Um, and you know, I, I had heard, uh, quite a bit about Brian Stevenson and his work, uh, with the equal justice, equal justice initiative. Um, but this is a really great, I think 
deep dive in some ways into the organization and his work in yep. Alabama. Um, and it was just enlightening, heartbreaking uh, and inspiring kind of yeah. all at once. Um, you know, he talked about how he needed to create his own vision um, as, a, as a, one particular example of his life. He needed to create his own vision for what it meant to be a lawyer because he had never seen a black lawyer. Uh, right. right. I yeah. remember that sticking out to me. Yeah. Um, and he talked us through so much about his work fighting against unjust decisions in Alabama and the work to document, memorialize racial terrorism and violence. Um, you know, that was visited upon black people throughout the South. Yeah. Um, and still is in, in, in many ways. Um, and you know, we talk about it happening in the South. It also happened in the North post great migration. So yes. this, you know, yes. um, yeah, there's just so much depth in this film and they touch on a bunch of different areas, um, that I just, I think we all, we all need to watch it. So we'll just... We'll just slide this in right next to the vaccine mandates yeah. and um, piss off all the people. Yeah. You think you and I can just make that decision right now? It's required viewing. Yes. Schools? We, yeah. It's done. <laughs> it's done. Yeah. I, That's a gavel, folks. Yeah. He, yeah. There's a gavel there, folks. Um, yeah. I, I, I appreciated learning so much about Brian, too, and his story, right? Like a lot. That was so much of this documentary. And, and you're right. Like the piece around sort of him having to. Um, he had never seen a black lawyer before, so he had yep. to sort of think about and imagine that for himself, right? Or he even talked about his time at Harvard, and one of the stories mm -hmm. he shared was um, that he didn't want to share with his classmates that he went to segregated schools, right? Like he right. felt that that might put him at a disadvantage, right? Or he might be judged by some of his peers, right? And so yeah. that's some of that, you know, and we've talked about this before, right? Some of those... Um, some of those decisions that black folks and folks of color have to make, right? Um, and things that we have to do when you don't see anyone that looks like you and you're trying to pursue this yeah. thing. Yeah, it it almost, I I heard it and experienced it almost as shame of not wanting yeah. to have to share that piece yeah. um, of the story. Um, but there's probably a lot more wrapped up in it than just yeah. some sort of like personal shame. Oh, yeah. Um, no, but, I, I felt that too. Yeah. But I'm also, I, you know, if I was there, I would have shook him and been like, but you're here, brother. You're yeah, here. You're here. Like, that's it. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. there's also that piece that you have to sort of work through as well. So, yeah. yeah, so much of of this was about him. And I think there's a lot we can learn from him and his experience, too. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that. Yeah. I like the idea of it being mandatory viewing. Let's yeah. do that. Um, you know, so I, we, we talk a little bit about him. But, I, you know, one of the other things I definitely want to highlight is the work of the Equal Justice Initiative. Right. Because so yes. much of their work was at the center of this documentary. And, and I think they're doing incredible work, um, mm -hmm. providing these legal services to, to poor folks and, and, and folks behind bars and, you know, condemned folks on death row, like literally at the end of their journey on death row, right? Like they are working with folks who have 30 days left. Um, and we really get to see through this documentary, just how difficult and heavy that work is. Right. Like, yes. and to me, it was, particularly fascinating and moving to learn about the work that they do trying to represent or representing and trying to get justice for the wrongfully convicted. Um, you know, there was a appointment documentary where Brian sort of talks about how he defines that, right? Like what a wrongful conviction is. And he says it's in his opinion, it's any conviction where the law has not been followed or where there have been illegal or unfair practices or policies mm -hmm. in the legal process. Right. And so that's sort of one thing. And, you know, he didn't mention this, but I think on top of that, we have loads of evidence that our criminal punishment system is a system with these rules and procedures and regulations that 
always seem to work against, you know, or oftentimes work against sort of poor and marginalized people. Right. Right. And, and at the expense of those folks. And mm-hmm. so I think I, I just really appreciate it how this documentary like put a spotlight on, on his work and the efforts of the EJI, but especially what it did to highlight that there are so many injustices within our criminal punishment system um, that more often than not target and condemn the poor and more often than not target and condemn black folks and folks of color. Right. And, and I, I think we're at this place where we cannot overlook that. Right. And that's why, you know, folks like Brian and and his team and and the EJI, like the work that they're doing is just incredible. Um, And, you know, one of the other things that this, documentary did and i definitely want to talk about it um is you know we got to see some of his clients right and hear from some of his clients and and so i i want to talk about that but i really just wanted to give like the the biggest of shout outs to the eji because the work that they're doing is difficult and profound and 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 necessary and i think it deserves to be praised absolutely i think um you know you talking you're talking about um the systems targeting and condemning poor folks and targeting and condemning black folks and folks of color. And I think especially targeting the folks at the intersections of those things. Oh, yes. And then you think mm. about and throw in gender and right, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, thinking about Kimberly Crenshaw's work and intersectionality, yeah. you know, poor black women, like what what are all of the, the, the ways that the rules and regulations of the system are stacked against those folks too? Yes. Um, the ways that they combine and stack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I think you talked about this a little bit, but I think the distinction that he made where um, he's doing work for people who might have committed the crimes that they've been conv- uh, convicted of, um, but they didn't get the same trial. They didn't get the same process. They didn't get the same fair shake yes. that a white guy might have gotten in the same system. Yes. Um, and I think that that's also deeply profound and um and and working against um, the foundation of the system, right? Yes, because like, that's that's, that's a an, an endemic function um, of of the system, and at least as demonstrated by our history, right? Um, which they talk about throughout the film. Um, but I think ultimately his work, to me, feels like really trying to challenge and end the death penalty. Yes, um, because of the racial disparities present in that system, um, and I, so I think their work at the equal justice initiative is critical um, because as they said in the death in the documentary, Alabama does not have a statewide system for public defenders. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like right? audibly gasped yeah. at that moment. I was like, like what? what? <laughs> um, and so uh, they do have county systems, um, but the counties then decide sort of ve- my very, very precursory uh, research on yep. this uh, by typing something into Google. I'll say Google um, search, if you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so research taken with a big asterisk yeah. next to it. Um, the counties fund the programs and decide how they work. So that seemed to suggest in the context of the documentary that there are some really big disparities across the state um, de- about the defense that you receive depending on where you are c- accused of a crime because the ca- it's up to the counties right. um, to, f- to fund those systems. And... Um, you know, some counties don't have the budgets that others do, and right, right, all this, and so if you have to, all of those things create disparities, um, and so I think that that's another distinction that, uh, or a particular point um, of uh, purpose, I think, for the Equal Justice Initiative to 
recognize that, pay attention to it, and then represent those folks um, who didn't get that fair shake that I mentioned earlier because the system of public defense isn't set up necessarily for it to be a consistent or fair shake. Right. Well, and what's fascinating here, so we're both clearly huge fans of the work that the EJI is doing, but correct me if I'm wrong, I think most of their work is focused in the South. Most of their work is focused in Alabama. I think so. And there, maybe, there were a couple of cases I think mentioned other states, but I think yeah, um, mostly focused in Alabama. Right. And so there's this whole, you know, organization, if you will, that is working to defend folks that are um, that have been accused of things and are being held in systems that live in the South, that live in Alabama, right? Yep. And so that's just one state, yep. right? And yeah, so yeah. where else is this happening um, across our country, right? And and are there other EJIs out there um, in our other uh, in our other states? Um, it seems to me that this is really important work, and this is most certainly happening in other places. So yeah. Um, so again, shout out to the EJI. Um, you know, I. I mentioned, and this made, it started to make me think a little bit about um, how this documentary got me, <laughs> right? Like mm. it, it really did hit me in the feels uh, because of the stories of Brian Stevenson's and the Equal Justice, Justice Initiative's clients, right? Um, one of them is uh, we got to meet Anthony Ray Hinton, uh, who was a, a black man. And back in the 1980s at uh, 29 years old, he was arrested by the Birmingham Police Department and was accused of rob robbing and murdering two restaurant managers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, spoiler alert, folks, he didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But one of the most heartbreaking things that he shared about his experience was how one of the police officers told him that he was without a doubt going to be found guilty because of five things. And those five things were, you're black, a white man is going to say you did it, there's going to be a white prosecutor, there's going to be a white judge, and there's going to be an all-white jury. <laughs> what? Like, yeah. the like the, uh, the fact that, uh, that yeah, you're sitting in this, in jail, right, or at the police station, and you're, you're being interrogated, and you're being accused of this, and that's what someone says to you? Like, what yeah. do you... What do you do with that, right? That, that, so that was heartbreaking to hear, right? And, and unfortunately, um, Mr. Hinton did spend 30 years in prison, and he was on death row um, before he was eventually released. Um, so th 30 years of your life just sort of gone. Mm -hmm. um, we also learned about the story of Walter McMillian, who at the end of the day was arrested because he was a black man and had an affair with a white woman. Like that, that was the reason. Um, he certainly didn't commit the crime he was accused of, which was uh, there was a murder of a young white woman in Monroeville, Alabama, uh, back in 1986. Um, and that's what he was sort of um, accused of. But his case was particularly infuriating and sad because his trial only lasted a day and a half. Yeah. And the police coerced uh, an eyewitness on tape <laughs> to lie and 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 say that he did it uh, and say that they saw him do it right as an eyewitness uh, and and that sealed the deal. Yeah. And you know, we we've talked a lot about sort of uh, the police here and sort of some of their tactics, right? Like, I mean, the f the fact that it was done on tape, like, just is sort of mind boggling to me, right? And so, yeah, like these stories really just broke my heart, you know? Um, yeah. but 
at the end of the day, as you talk about this being required viewing, right? I think these are important stories for us to hear because they they illuminate the role that racial bias can play in our criminal punishment system and in all the players involved in it, right? So from the police mm-hmm. officers to the prosecutors to the judges to the juries, right? And, um, and uh, you know, of course, it could be argued that it's not happening everywhere or with every player in the system, in every single state, in every single locale, whatever, but it is happening, and that's not okay. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you say it's it's not happening at every locale, but I think at this point we have enough evidence to say, all right, we'll prove that it's not happening um, that, because some of the, like, some of the ways that we, we – uh, try to prove this is by intent rather than like what the outcome is. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is um, misguided because if the outcome is racist, then that thing, whatever that thing was, that process, we really need to inter- interrogate it because maybe it's racist. How about it? Um, mm. And just because we can't prove intent doesn't mean it's not racist because the outcome is still racist. Yes. So. Ooh. Yeah. Um, And, you know, thinking back, you talked about uh, Anthony Ray Hinton um, a minute ago. So he's, as you said, spent 30 years of his life on death row. Right. um, Sort of facing the electric chair um, for nothing. Um, the, The legal system, within its rules, within its regulations, within its bounds, within the the charge that it has, took away his life for 30 years. Yeah. And he hasn't received any compensation for those lost 30 years. I did a little bit of... Oh, I didn't know that. Like Googling. Yep. Um, again, but according to the last thing I read, the Alabama Senate hasn't voted, has not voted to approve any expenditure for him to receive compensation. Wow. So he has had 30 years stolen with no repair, no reparations, um, despite there now being evidence that he did not commit that crime um, and was held in prison for 30 years. Yeah. Um, And it's absurd Mm -hmm. to think about that, um, that that's right, like legal. It's within yeah. the bounds of the system that right. he got locked up. Um, no apology, no money, no nothing. Um, and then just released. Um, and it's absurd. Uh, and this is, you know, it's Kafka-esque mm-hmm. levels of absurdity. Yeah. Um, this is the trial played out in real life, um, which is a famous Kafka story where somebody gets locked up and I think actually eventually killed by the state um for nothing and you know this is just one story we have we've got one story and i'm sure that there are hundreds thousands tens of thousands more um where the system just said nah it was you Um, that's it and that's it and these five things are going to make sure that you're the one who's Mm -hmm. put away and that's one of the things they talked about in the in the film is that um, you know, at some point the the lynching shifted from outside the courthouse to inside the courthouse. Yeah, and they figured out a way to make it legal. Right. Um, and so you know, don't worry about taking care of this extrajudicially. We're gonna we're gonna take care of it judicially, and it's gonna be the same outcome. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So 
There's a lot. There's a lot yeah, there, a lot. right? Yeah. Well, and you talk about like the emphasis on the 30 years. Yeah. Which is a lot, right? It's a lot to sit with, right? Uh, one of the other things this documentary does, I think, so beautifully is with, with Mr. Hinton and with Mr. McMillian, I think in particular, um, is talk about the toll, the emotional toll that that right. takes on you, right? To sit on death row for 30 years. Um, like I can't even fathom sort of what that is like, what that, what that's like to wake up day in, day out in prison on death row. Right. What does that do to you? And then to all of a sudden just be gone, uh, to not have been apologized to, to not have received your 30 years of your life. has just gone. 30 years is a long time. Yeah. So yeah, that's, it's not okay. It's Mm -hmm. absurd as you say. Yeah. Um, and so the, clearly there's, there's a lot here that uh, is heavy, right, and has weighed on us. One of the other things I think um, that's weighed on me and I've been thinking about a lot is I think um, is the the connection of the stories of Brian's clients that we just talked about, right, to the larger context of why this happens in the first place, right, and why this is important, right? And it certainly connects to some of the things we talked about here on the podcast too, right? Like I think – and that's the importance of understanding – the history of racial injustice in this country, right? And the thread that exists between the history of things like slavery and lynchings, as you just mentioned, right? Uh, And uh, racial injustices of the past to, again, what we see here in our present day, in our present uh, day criminal punishment system and, and mass incarceration, right? And even death row, right? Like, I think if you... If you take nothing else from this documentary, which would be wild um, if you get a chance to check it out, but if you take nothing else from this, like the lesson that Brian gives us, like he takes us to school, y'all, on how this country is a post-genocide community and the impact that the narrative of racial difference played and unfortunately I think continues to play in our society, that should be required learning for everyone, right? Yeah, I already said it's mandated. Yeah, yeah, you did, you Uh, did. (laughs) Um, So absolutely, I think that the, I really appreciated him sharing that um, lens that he brings to his work um, because I think that also shakes the foundation of the legal system that we all um, sort of have been taught is uh, objective and and just. you know, we live in a country that committed genocide. Um, it systematically took land from indigenous people and killed them. Um, and there is a um, really well-documented history about that called yes. the Indigenous People's History um, by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz that I recommend. Um, if you, um, I think like me, ingested lessons that that genocide was accidental. Uh. Um it was not. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really appreciated the, that, um, that context that I think he brings to his work. I appreciated the, his connection between that history um, to then the history of enslavement um, and then some of the ways that the Supreme Court um, has become and continues to in some ways um, be a tool in maintaining white supremacy. Oh, yes. Um, Right, but specifically, he was talking about the mid eighteen hundreds when there are cases like Dred Scott mm-hmm. um, and U.S. the U.S. versus Cruikshank, um, which vacated the convictions of white men who rioted and killed hundreds of black people in Colfax, Louisiana. Yes, um, and so when you know some of that history, 
and it's unveiled to you, it's easy to see how this current system continues much of those same themes today. Yes. Right. And then you have stories about Anthony Ray Hinton mm -hmm. and um, Mr. McMillian. Right. We have all this stuff where, you know, it brought Brian Stevenson to the point in the documentary of saying, I know our system is capable of executing innocent people, of turning a blind eye. Mm. Because it's done it all along the way. All along the way. Right? So you think about genocide uh, of indigenous people. You think about enslavement. You think about Jim Crow. You think about lynchings and, and racial terrorism and the Klan um, up until mass incarceration. Like all of those are different ways to control, maim, and kill people. Yeah. Um, in the name of a government for the, the free and the brave. Government for the people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Heavy stuff, mm -hmm. heavy stuff, but important stuff for us to look in the face, right, um, and to deal with. Um, all right, so with that, let's shift over and talk a little bit about application. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think like with so many of the things we've been bringing to the table recently, like this is all real life stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything about what we've talked about and, and, and everything that's in this documentary is application because it's about real people and the real injustices in our society and our systems and our history. And I think the application I take from all of this is that, again, that's really difficult to sit with, right? To reckon with, to, to sort of witness, as I talked about earlier, I think like the, the, the emotional toll um, that it takes on people, people like Anthony Ray Hinton, people like Walter McMillian, even people like Jimmy Lee Dill, who I didn't mention earlier, but, you know, um, mm -hmm. he was executed mm -hmm. and he shouldn't have been because he was intellectually disabled. Right. And the Supreme Court had ruled before that in the years prior to that, that they were that we couldn't we shouldn't execute um, the intellectually disabled. Right. Um, yeah. And so that was a heartbreaking story. And so I think, again, all of this is difficult and, and troubling and heartbreaking, but it's necessary to hear and for us to talk about. And, you know, I I was really compelled by there was a story that Brian shared uh, in the documentary about meeting Johnny Carr and Rosa Parks. And Johnny Carr told him that this work is going to make you tired, tired, tired. Like yeah. I was like, that's it. Right. Like where, where, where is the lie there? Right. So, um, uh, I, I stand with you that, and you've already gaveled down on it, that this is now <laughs> required viewing. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I think about application, I think, as you said, there's so much in here about our lives and the world we live in. Yeah. Um, I think we can apply this in understanding what's going on in our lives in, in, so many different places, right? The disproportionate application of the law applies in so much of our interactions with the government, both local um, and federal. Um, we can yeah. see it play out from stuff as seemingly small as where cities put traffic cameras um, to who the cops pull over yeah. um, to guilty verdicts and sentencing. Um, and we can see that all those things seem to target black people. Yeah. Uh, and it's all tied back to social control of black folks following emancipation, right? You think about enslavement to Jim Crow, to lynchings, like all of that is about control. Mm. Um, so these things aren't just about whether or not the U.S. criminal punishment system disproportionately sentences black people to death. The story is about that, but it's about all of this, um, you know, that 
disproportionate sentencing of, of black people to the death penalty, that's a specific manifestation of a system of control um, that has found a way to claim objectivity despite the outcomes that it produces and that we see around us every day. Wow. It's about all of that. Yeah, it's about all of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Uh, so with that, <laughs> right, uh, that brings me to start thinking a little bit about our homework for the week. You know, um, November is not that far away. And just uh, yesterday, I received my application for an absentee ballot for an election that's happening in my city for mayor and I think a, a couple of council member seats mm-hmm. um, again in November. And and so I think with that and this documentary really highlighting some of the ills of our criminal punishment system just makes me want to say that my homework and, and I'm encouraging everyone to join me in this. Um, the homework is to vote. Like, please vote. Like our elections matter and the people we elect have such an influence on our lives and our systems And in many cases, like who gets to sit in state and federal courtrooms as judges and as state's attorneys, right? Um, Who gets appointed to those roles? And so vote. That's my homework. Uh, That's your homework. Um, It's just so necessary um, and is one sort of element in thinking about how we make changes and make a difference in this this process. So, yeah. What about you? Yeah. Um, To echo that. One of the stories in this uh, documentary about Anthony Ray Hinton is that the elected judges in Alabama did not look at his paperwork for years. Yes. That um, sort of proved his innocence. Um, so, yeah, uh, those those judges, state's attorneys, all that, all that matters. You could, a lot of places elect sheriffs. Yeah. Which oh, also that too. Piece, right. Yes. So there's there's all of these pieces of of the puzzle um i think for my homework i want to think about and learn more about the stories of people who were lynched um Mm. specifically in places that i've lived whether that's current um, or past the memorial website that the eji um, has established uh that has a map where you have uh where they have documented uh, where lynchings took place based on counties okay um yeah and so you know, clicking on Maryland, clicking on Prince George's County, um, they have two stories uh, or they have two listed um, and they don't have any more details about it. It just tells you sort of the numbers. OK. Um, but these are the stories that are hidden that I think that this museum, this memorial makes visible yes. to us um, and and lets us see that um, these stories aren't just outliers. Um, of, of random violence, right? Like it's connected to a theme of terrorism um, against black people that was present across a wide swath of the U.S., right? Um, look at the map. There's, yep. there's, yes. Um, and, you know, as Brian Stevenson says in the documentary, it's important that we know these stories to understand the present. Yeah. Um, this history is coursing through our current day uh, and we're repeating it. In a lot of ways. So many ways. Yeah. Um, and there are thousands of people who want to hide this history and they're showing up to school district, school boards, um, and they're telling our teachers and our administrators not to teach it in school. And they want to erase this history and these stories as if they don't matter to who we are collectively. Yeah. And I think we are collectively lying to ourselves if we believe that these stories don't matter and don't influence what's happening right now. Absolutely. Um, 
and you know, I think another piece of homework maybe is that um, I eventually would like to go visit the museum and the memorial. Yes. Um, yeah. Get in the car. Let's go. It's a long drive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I think that that uh, seems like a very yeah. Um, seems like a thing that that a lot of folks should do. Yeah. Um, is is um, is go visit because it uh, it it's a lot. Yeah, it you know you we get to see um, if you watch the documentary, folks, you get to see sort of glimpses of it, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, folks sort of touring it and walking through it, and it looks incredible, and it looks so well done. Um, and that's just what we got to see. I don't know, fifteen twenty minutes of a documentary um, on right. film. So um, yeah, I would love I would love to go down there and and check it out. And yeah, this idea you said terrorism against black people right that mm-hmm. is present in our history I'm, I'm i'm sort of struck by that right um because that's what it is that's yep. what it is and we have to recognize that absolutely uh all right good homework hey yep. you're up next i am what are you bringing to the table in our next episode um i'm bringing an article um that was published in the nation um magazine back in 2017 it's called what abolitionists do um, is written by Miriam Kaba, Dan Berger, and David Stein. Um, and so those are uh, three folks who do a variety of kinds of work um, around abolitionism. Yes, um, okay. And they make connections between historical movements um, that people said and called impractical um, and the present day kind of movement work that people are doing towards uh, abolition of the prison industrial complex. Um, and the so the essay tries to counter the notion that abolition is impractical by citing both history um, and examples of abolitionist work that is happening sort of currently, um, at least in the last few years. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, mm-hmm. and again, we're talking about the importance of knowing our history, right? In yep. this, right? Yep. Um, and obviously we are uh, huge fans of our friend Miriam Kaba. If you're listening, we, we're huge fans. Come and join us. Come talk to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, awesome. I'm excited to, to check that article out. Um, thanks for bringing it. Uh, all right. So with that, folks, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what we want you to do, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life. Uh, follow us on all of the social medias out there. Uh, sign up for our email list to get notified of things going on behind the scenes. We want to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. 